when was the last time that you did that thing that you said you weren't ever going to do again? You, you know that thing? Uh, maybe you just said it to yourself. Maybe you said it to your spouse. Maybe it was a, a, a co-worker or your boss. But, but you know there's that thing in your life that, that you do that you've probably said over and over again, I'm not going to do that. Um, we all have things that we don't want to do, but that we can't seem to stop doing. I, I'm going to share with you two of the things that I've been dealing with um, lately, and they might seem like, it, like it's not any big deal, but you'll see why it's important as we um, go on. Uh, last year, the middle of year, when Trent's social media accounts just kind of uh, blew up, a lot of things changed at the Landreth household. So uh, we would come home uh, from work, Andrew would come home from work, or I'd get wrap up with church stuff, and then it, and then it was, um, we're, we're like making videos, we're making products, we're packaging things, we're posting things to be shipped. And, and so it was a lot of, of work. And so I found, um, you know, a- Andrea had to go to bed at a certain time because she has to get up early because she's got uh, duties and things, a job outside the house and she had to get ready for. Um, I didn't have that. And so um, I'm up till midnight or, or one o'clock or, or whatever, like every night, just about um, making sure everything's ready for the next day and we're, we're set to go. Um, and, and then, you know, that, that stuff has kind of slowed down but I still have a really hard time like going to bed at a, at a decent hour consistently. And, and so I'm, I might hit it one night, you know, I might, I might get in bed at 11 o'clock one night, but then um, the next night it might, it might be 12 or, or one again. And that, that, when you get to be my age, that really messes you up uh, during the week when your schedule is not the same. And so I, I want to go to bed at a consistent time. I want to get enough sleep. I want to be ready, fresh in the morning, but I just can't seem to make it happen. For the last year and a half, I've, I've been um, very dedicated and very disciplined about getting into the gym and lifting uh, every day during the week, pretty much. I'm, I'm there, and I've been very consistent in that, um, and that's been really good. The problem that I have is, is that while I can be really disciplined when it comes to going to the gym and getting through the workout, I am not disciplined at all when it comes to food. Uh, uh, portion um, size or food choice. I'm eating bad things uh, and, and I'm eating a lot of bad things. Uh, and so I, I want to do better at that. I, I want to apply the same discipline over here. I want to apply that here. Um, I, I just have had zero momentum to make those necessary changes. Do, do any of you have the same kind of struggles? Yeah. <laughs> There's all, all, for all of us, there's something in our life, and, and maybe it's a big thing and maybe it's a, a small thing, but, but in every one of our lives, there are things that we don't want to be doing, but we can't seem to stop. Or, or maybe there's something that you want to do. You know that you want to do it, you need to do it. Maybe even you feel like God has called you to do it, but you can't seem to start. And you just can't take that first step. 
Now, going to bed on time or going to bed early or managing your diet, those should be easy things to control, right? If you want more sleep, you just go to bed earlier. If you want to lose weight, you just change your eating habits. And maybe some of you out there right now are doing what I've done in the past in my younger years and going, my goodness, you whiner. If you want to change it, just change it. Just do it. Don't quit whining about it or worrying about it. Just do it. But if you are one of those people who are looking down on me because of my inability to do these simple um, things, you're probably disciplined in those areas. And you don't have any problem getting to bed on time or eating uh, the right way. But I would bet my next meal that there is something in your life um, that you do struggle with. Well, that you are struggling with. And it's maybe not be the same things that I'm, I'm dealing with, but there's something in your life that you know you should stop and you can't seem to stop, or you know you should start and you can't seem to start. And, and we've only talked so far about like, nor, like physical things, right? We haven't even addressed spiritual issues or, or things that are their spiritual lives. Because each of us have areas where we feel like we're failing God. Uh, so here are a, a few relatable or, or, or common um, struggles that we have. It's March 6th. Can't hardly believe that. It's March 6th. Maybe you promised God a couple months ago that you'd spend time every day uh, reading your Bible or praying. Uh, but you just haven't been able to string more than a day or two of that together. Uh, thank you. That's a good background music for me. Uh, <laughs> it's confusing. Okay. Maybe that's you. And you, you know, we're pretty new into the year. You, you made a New Year's resolution or something. You're going, I'm going to spend time reading the Bible. I'm going to spend time praying. And, and you just haven't been able to really... Um, do it. Maybe you went into this new year um, with, with this uh, commitment. I am going to watch my language this year. This year, I'm going to be more courteous, more conscientious of where I am and who I'm talking to, and I'm just going to um, wa- watch my language. Or maybe I'm going to I'm going to tr- try to do better about the things that I watch on TV or the or the music that I listen to, the language that I hear in in those. Um, but what you find is you get into certain situations, certain circumstances, and um, you just really can't stop saying those things that you that you, in other situations, you wish you could stop saying. Um, or, or maybe this one, for a lot of us deal with this, maybe you committed to control your anger this year. But they just keep making me mad. If they would just stop doing the things that make me angry, I wouldn't get angry, and so we put it off on somebody else. And the problem for us is that when we sin, and, and, and by that I mean when we do things that we know God would not approve of, we feel like failures, right? When I, when I know the things that I ought to do, but I just can't do them, or when I, I know the things I don't want to do and I can't stop doing those things, we feel like failures. And so what we do, our response to that failure feeling is that we 
we double down on our willpower, right? We, we recognize, God, I, I told you I wasn't going to do that anymore, and I did it again. Tomorrow, I'm going to get it right. Like, I promise, God, again, the next time, I'm going to do things differently. Tomorrow, I'm going to get up in the morning, I'm going to get up a few minutes early, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. But the next time, I'll, I'll, I'll take a walk, and, and I won't get sucked in or, or caught up in, in that anger, and I won't let that out. I'm not going to say the things that I'm going to regret next time. And, and we feel like if we can just do better, right? If, if I can just do better, if I can just buckle down, if I can just pull myself up, and I can just focus on this, if I can somehow do better, God is going to be happier with me. God, I promise, I'm, if I do this, and then, and then we think God is going to love us more, Right? God is going to be happier with us if we could just stop doing the bad things and start doing the good things. What we often have trouble understanding, though, is that God is as present in our failures as he is in our faith. Now think about that for just a second. God is as present with us in our failures when we blow it, when we promised a thousand times we wouldn't do it again, and we did it again, God is as present with us in that moment, in our lowest point, as he is when we're on the mountaintop of faith and everything is going perfect, and we're like, I can't remember the last time I, I did that, or the last time I sinned. God's as present with us in, in both of those places. When you are at your worst, when you are strung out or doped up or hung over or angry or arrogant or self-righteous, God is not absent from you. He is present with you. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 5, 8 about this very truth. He said this, God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, there are two important things I think we need to catch from this text. Number one, Jesus paid the ultimate price for you when you were at your worst. When you didn't care about him, when you didn't know him, when you didn't love him, when you weren't following him. When you were at your absolute worst, that's what Jesus went to the cross for. But there's a second interesting thing about this passage. It's that Paul uses the word Christ. And Christ is not Jesus' last name. I've said that before. It's his title. Christ is Jesus' title. And for the Jewish reader, the Hebrew reader, uh, the Aramaic reader, he would have understood that what Paul was saying when he said Christ is king. In fact, when you're reading scripture and you see the word Christ, you can just insert the word king. And so, and so Paul says, look, um, the king, the king doesn't usually die for his subjects. The king lets his subjects die for him, right? It's, it's time to go to battle. Who's our president going to send? He ain't going. The, those guys in the Congress, the Senate, whatever, not, those guys aren't going. They, they're going to send the soldiers. And so Paul, Paul is saying, look, when you were at your worst, the king gave up his life for you. When you didn't care about him, you didn't follow him, you didn't vote for him, you didn't want him, he said, no, you can live and I'll die in your place. 
And so Paul wanted to make sure that we understood that, that the king laid down his life for his subjects, even though the subjects hated him. Coming to terms with this truth, with this reality, that that at our worst, God gave his best, is is huge for us as followers of Jesus. Because we, we can't get away in our humanness, we can't get away from thinking that the more we do right, or, or let's say it this way, the less we sin, the less we do wrong, the more God loves us. The more God responds to our prayers, the, the more generous, generous he is towards us, the, the more he, he gives to our situation, the more attention he gives to our situation. And so we really do have this, this struggle that we, we recognize our, our failures and we think that when we fail at following God, that he's somehow more distant from us. And if we could just, if we could just work up the power and the energy to do the right things and to avoid the wrong things, that God would be more present, that he would be more loving, that he would be more generous, that he would be involved more in our lives. That's what we think. But that is not how God operates. And, and I'm for one glad that he doesn't operate uh, according to our ability to follow his rules. Be- because in my life, more often than not, I resemble what Paul said in Romans 7 uh, verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. Anybody been there? Why did I do that? Why did I say that? I, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Do you have those moments? What what am I doing? Why can't I stop? I know this is damaging to me. I know that I'm going down the wrong road. I just can't seem to help myself. I I saw a Facebook post um, yesterday from an acquaintance. Um, do Do you have those friends on Facebook and you don't really know who they are or where they came from? But, but they're friends. I, I must have been connected to this person somehow, somewhere, but I can't remember. But, but, I, but I saw this um, post, and it started out this way. There's a picture, and it started out like this. When your son's dad cares more about drugs than about being a parent. And it went on. And, and, and I'm sure, for the person who made this post, that's how it feels Sometimes. Right? If, if you're the one on the other side of somebody who's in addiction, you feel like it's personal attack. And, and maybe sometimes it is. Maybe you've been hurt, you've been dropped off, you've been let go, you've been robbed from or lied to. And it feels very personal. But, but I think similar things to what that Facebook post said could be said about anyone, maybe about all of us in this room. Because we all have things that distract us, that, that take our, our focus, that cause us to do things to others that, that they might feel hurt by. Um, and, and, and maybe, um, let me get just a little bit silly here, but this is the world we live in. Um, maybe it, it's uh, not a, a drug addiction. Maybe it's video games. Maybe you're just stuck on video games. You just, you can't be distracted by anything else. And so you're letting other things go. Uh, it might be social media and you're just, you're on social media. You can't seem to stop. And so everything else is taking a, a backseat to that. Maybe it's porn. 
Maybe it's food. Maybe it's food, and the people around you are like, hey, um, you know, you got to get a handle on this because we want you to be around for a long time, and you just can't seem to, to do that. Maybe it's your hobby or your home or your car. Anything that takes us away from the things that are truly important is an addiction. And, and probably all of us in this room, we might look at other people and say, well, that, you know, they've got it bad. I, I can stop anytime I want. We've all got those things in our lives. And, and I don't know the gentleman um, fr- from that Facebook post, but, but I would bet that if he had to do his life over again, he'd make some different choices. And he'd do things a little more differently. Most of us would. Even if you don't have a past, even if you're not caught up in addiction right now, there are probably things in your life where you said, if I could go back and do that, I would do it differently. Uh, By by the way, Buster just told me um, before church started, it just so happened that we're talking about this a little bit today. Um, Today is Black Balloon Day. And, And it's a day for remembering those that we've lost to addiction. And, and, and probably a lot of us in, in this room will, will know somebody or know of somebody that's lost their life to addiction. It, it's a bad thing, but I, but I want to tell you that it's not, it's not just we tend to look at people who have addictions to, to drugs or alcohol or, or, or those things, and, and we go, well, that's, you know, that's bad, and they, they should stop that. But we don't tend to look at the things we do as addictions. My addiction is under control, or my addiction isn't bad like their addiction. It doesn't matter what your drug of choice is, whether it be chemical, it could be the gym, food, sex, television. There's probably at least one person who feels the way that the one who made this Facebook post does, that I'm always losing out to whatever is number one in their life. I'm always second to that. It's a problem for all of us. All of us deal with this. And and what you struggle with may not be the same that I struggle, what I struggle with, but we each struggle to understand our own actions and the things that we do. We, we We are flawed, but God is faithful. We're flawed. And, and, and we don't have to go very far. We don't have to think back very far to, to remember, to recall those failures in our lives that we talked about a minute ago. Those times that we've, well, I know the thing I ought to do and I just can't do it. And, and the thing that I don't want to do that I've said I'm not going to do anymore, I just can't stop doing that. And, and yet in the midst of our mess, God is at work. Because he is faithful even when we are not. This is an amazing thing about God. And, and, and listen, um, God is faithful to himself first. He's faithful to himself first. His, his character traits, like, like love that we talked about last month, justice, compassion, long-suffering. God is always going to be faithful to who he is as God. But God is also going to be faithful to his promises, the promises that he's, that he's made, the things that he said, this is what I'm going to do, and, and he's going to do them. Those promises both of blessing and of discipline, 
right? When he told the Israelites, look, if you stop following me and you go your own way, I'm going to do to you what I did to the nations before you. I'm going to send you out and I'm going to give the land rest and you're going to be in exile just like the nations that you drove out. When you sin, this is what's going to happen. And so God is always faithful to his promises. And then God is always faithful to his creation. He said things like, I will never leave you or forsake you. Even when we fail, we have that, that God is going to be faithful to us even when we're not faithful to him. And so here's the truth. You've probably already figured it out. We all sin. Romans says we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Not a single one of us will ever do anything in our lives so good that God would be forced to accept us. We're never going to be able to do something so good that if we, if we got to that point where we meet God, we'll go, hey God, do you remember this? <laughs> yeah, you, you know, like you have to let me in. That's the old idea. We'll never be able to do anything good enough to force God's hand. But thankfully, God doesn't work based on the merit system. God made us worthy, not by our own virtue, but by the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. And so I get to stand here, not because I'm perfect and I do everything right. I always do everything God asks me to, and I never do the stuff God doesn't want me to. That's not why I get to stand up here. I get to stand up here because this is what God's called me to do. And, it, and it's his merit. It's his virtue. It's, it's his blood, his life that allows me to stand. We spend so much time working for what can't be won. And then we leave uh, spiritually worn out. Do you ever feel like that? We work so hard to do things that can't be won. God, if if I can just get over this, if I can just accomplish this, if I could just do this, if I could stop doing that, then life will be good. And you're gonna smile on me and you're gonna bless me and everything's gonna be great. And what happens is we're just worn out because we cannot do it. We cannot stop sinning. Let's go back to Romans 7, 15. The, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this, was the most learned of all the apostles. There were 12 apostles, and, and then there was Paul, right? He was kind of adopted into that. And, and unlike James and John, who were fishermen, and, or Matthew, who was a tax collector, Paul was trained and educated as a, as a Pharisee, as a religious leader, He was on track to be a a member of the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish religious council. If if you were not the priest, this was where you wanted to be. Like this was, you couldn't get any higher than than this. It's like our Supreme Court today. Like this is the top shelf of where you can be. And unlike all the other apostles, Paul was educated, he was trained, he was on track to be in this position. And yet after his uh, conversion, what it happened after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus himself seems to have taught Paul the gospel in the desert. Jesus alludes to this, I think it's in Galatians. Uh, Paul would then go on to write more of the New Testament than all the other writers put together. 
like Paul has got it down. And we, we look back in Scripture and we, we think about um, who, who could we follow outside of, of Jesus. Paul is the one who said, follow my example as I follow the example of, of Christ. And then there's a lot of times in my life when I'm going, look, don't follow my example. Follow, follow Jesus, follow him, because I'm messing up and I'm not getting it right. But Paul was able to say, follow my example because I'm following the example of Christ. And, and yet Paul says in this text, I can't control myself. I'm not doing the things I want to do and the things I don't want to do, the things I hate even, that's pretty strong language. Those are the things that, that I end up doing. I, I think about this, the, the woman in the abusive relationship who goes back to her abuser but wants to flee. That's kind of the idea and the language here. I, I don't want to do this. I hate this. This is a horrible situation. And yet I keep going back to it. The man with the anger problem who flies off the handle when he promised he, he wouldn't. Those are the things that Paul is talking about. What we hate, we do to ourselves and our loved ones. These attitudes, these, these actions, these things I'm doing, I hate them. And I hate what they're doing to the people I love, and yet I can't seem to stop doing, doing them. Oh, we want to stop, but we can't. And, and then we, we know that we need to replace that thing with something else, and yet we just can't seem to find the strength to start the good stuff and stop the bad stuff. And, and we always feel terrible after, right? Don't you? I was like, ah. And here's what I say. I should be better than this. I should know better than this. I should be beyond this. Why am I still caught up in this? Like, this is our life. This is our lot. Every single one of us has a fatal flaw, and it started in the Garden of Eden. Adam and, and Eve had one rule, just one thing. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's all. You can do anything else. Don't do that. And they couldn't follow it. Why? Why could they not follow that one rule? Well, the makers of the Bible project said it, it this way. They said the first humans seized autonomy from God and they wanted to define good and evil for themselves. They, they, they looked at the tree and instead of saying God has defined good and evil for us and we need to follow his because he knows they said they said no what what does God know that I don't know I want to know that they didn't trust the knowledge of God they wanted that knowledge for themselves and in doing so they ruined God's good world because they seized control of their lives to determine good and evil for themselves. And so from the beginning, we have not been able to trust God's standard of right and wrong. And when we wonder sometimes how we look at the Bible and we go, well, that, I don't, that doesn't, I don't like that. Why did God say that? Why did God do that? Why is God trying to control me? Why is God trying to keep me from enjoying these things that are pleasurable to me? We're Adam and Eve. We're stealing 
We're stealing autonomy for God. We're saying, God, I don't trust what you know. I want to figure it out for myself. What are we saying? I am the king of my own life. We want the power to define good and evil, right and wrong for ourselves, and we refuse to trust God's knowledge. Instead, we rely on our own. And so we sit here every Sunday, and we desire to do the right thing. And, and, and maybe even after singing a message, whatever, you leave here full of ambition to never do that wrong thing again. I am not going to do it. This week, it's going to be different. This day, it's going to be different. And, and, and we're trying to, to make it. And, and yet, if we're really good, uh, we might make it to Monday morning. Maybe Monday afternoon, <laughs> Sunday like, if you're really good, like maybe Wednesday. But like that's put, like, you got to work really hard to get there. We can't even make it a week. How in the world are we going to make it a lifetime? So how can God love us so much when we fail so miserably? God, how can you continue to put up with us when we go through this every single week? If Paul, dedicated and educated as a Torah teacher who was taught by Jesus himself and wrote more of the New Testament than anyone, if he can't control his actions, if he can't stop doing the things he knows he shouldn't, what hope do we have? What hope do I have? And the answer is the same answer that Paul came up with, none. We have no hope. We have zero, we have zero hope that I'm going to get any better to accomplish or by willpower or by strength to, to, to do what I know I ought to do and stop doing the things I shouldn't do. And, and yet we understand that God does not need our faith to be superb. He just needs us to surrender. We, we don't have to be perfect at this Christian life thing, at following God, we, we just need to surrender. We, we just need to go, okay, God, I'm going to trust your knowledge. I'm going to trust your wisdom. I'm going to trust what you say instead of following my own way. We got to stop trying to do everything right and simply live in communion with Jesus in the midst of our failure. Trust God's faithfulness. That's a hard thing for us to do. I'm a failure, and yet I understand that God is as present with me in this moment as he is when I'm on the top of the mountain in faith. So here's how you respond to your failures and recognize God's faithfulness this week. Here's the challenge. Today, maybe it's this morning before you leave here, but, but certainly this afternoon you get home, take a few minutes, make a list of the things you feel have spiritual power over you. What are, the, what are those things in your life that you just can't seem to stop doing or you can't seem to start doing? What are those things that have spiritual power over you? And then and what you're going to do is you're going to commit to spend a few minutes every day this week in prayer over that list. And, and so you're going to set a time 7 a.m., 10 a.m., 10, 10 p.m., whatever time. My lunch break every day at work. You're going to set a time and you're going to set a timer. Time and timer. 
And maybe it's three minutes, maybe it's 10 minutes or five minutes, whatever. It's not about the time that you spend. It's about taking that time to surrender to God. And so you set your failures in that time. You set your failures before Jesus. You submit to the power and work of Holy Spirit as you ask God to allow you to feel just a little bit of the pain that he feels over your sin. So you're going to make a list of the areas that you feel you failed, that have spiritual power and you just can't stop. And every day you're going to go, God, I don't have the power to overcome this. I need your help. So I'm going to surrender this to you. And if you fail, the next day you set the time, you set the timer, and you come back to it. You will never have the power to say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things on your own. And that's what so many of us want to do. We want to use our own strength, our own power, our own will to just be better. And we can't. We can't do it. But God's power, present and at work in your life, when you surrender your will to his ways, then you can. It's why Paul says in Romans 7, 24, thanks be to God. Because God has already won. And so um, this struggle that we, that we have, our inability to do the right thing, to, to, to avoid the things we know we shouldn't and, and to do the things we know we should, this was the design, right? God, God knew in the very beginning what we were going to do and how we were going to take it. And it's not that we're destined to fail. That, that's not the point. That's not, we don't just throw our hands up and go, well, I just can't get any better. We can learn to be dependent on God, to surrender to the King. It's God and only God who gives us the victory over sin. We are flawed, but He is faithful. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving us in the midst of our sin and our failure and our struggle. God, we, we come today, we, we recognize that we, we simply cannot do it on our own. We've tried, I've tried to, to focus more, to, to read more, to study more. And I just can't seem to get better. And yet, God, I know, as Paul does, and we're going to learn throughout this series, that when we, when we surrender to you, when we look at your word, your, your way for living, and, and we go, okay, God, I'm going to surrender the way I want to live to the way you have called me to live, that's when we begin to have victory in our lives. That's when we begin to see you at work and, and functioning in, in our lives. That's when we have eyes to see. And we know that's when Satan is going to come after us. But by your power and strength, we can overcome and so, God, help us to, to, to make the list this week, to set the time, to set the timer, to commit these things to you, to surrender them to you. And, God, we look for victory in those things as we trust you and we, and we function not on our own knowledge or ability, but on yours. And so thank you, God, for giving us that strength and power through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, next week. Um, we're going to look at how the gospel, our gospel definition, has the power to transform our lives 
when we surrender to King Jesus. And so we're all in the same uh, boat here. We're all the same level right now. Next week, we're going to learn how the gospel can help to transform our lives, to live the lives that we know God would have us to live. So I hope you can, can join me both here and online. Thanks for being here. Love you. God bless. Thanks for tuning in to Real Life Live. Our hope and prayer is that the time you've spent with us has left you encouraged and challenged in your faith. It may have also left you with some questions or maybe wondering how all this faith stuff works. So we want to help you with that. Head over to reallifecc.us for a few different ways we can connect. We're thankful you joined us today and want to extend an invitation for you to join us in person at our current home in El Dorado, Kansas at the Civic Center, 201 East Central on Sundays at 10 a.m. We hope you'll keep tuning in and growing in your faith to look more like Jesus every day. See you next time.